such a good day. Baptism day. Oh, it's such a good day. So excited. Three folks are getting baptized today. Um, Sean, Kadari, and Keith are getting baptized today. And kids, you may be dismissed at Children's Church. If you're visiting with us today and you have kids fifth grade or younger, they're welcome to join the train going up. If you want to see where they're going, you're welcome to go and see too. They'll rejoin us at the end of the service. Um, We worship and respond uh, to the word. Baptism Sunday, so good. And there's like a lot of really awesome things happening in the house. Um, Twyla turned 40 and had like a blowout party last night. Twyla, it's fun celebrating her. And we have not gotten to see Malcolm. Like we haven't, can we just show him off? Just, he's sleeping, so we're gonna be real quiet about it, but. Okay, then we can be really excited about it. Look at that baby. Oh, oh, you guys make cute kids. Oh, he's adorable. How old is he now? A month. So is he able to be held by others or still? Oh, you okay. We'll all sanitize our hands first. Two brothers. Yeah, it's true. Two brothers. He's already been exposed. <laughs> what could we do? Yeah, so good. And... Um, I heard that yesterday some young folks in the church got engaged. Is that true? <laughs> so congratulations to Eric and Alyssa. They're already in premarital counseling, so we kind of saw it coming. We kind of knew it was happening. Actually, there's a bridal shower scheduled for like two weeks, so we all kind of knew. We all kind of knew, but <laughs> so congratulations. So good. Okay, covenant. We're in the last week of covenant, and I really had hoped we could get more into marriage covenant and more into the covenant kingdom of God, the church. Um, But we're probably not going to get to all of it, which I'm bummed about. Um, But how many of you like, this was like a hard week for our nation. It was a rough, it was a rough week. I think I have an eye twitch, like just resolution, bring it to resolution. Um, it was a rough week. Um, and the thing is, I think um, it isn't appropriate, I think, for a pastor to say, like, vote for this person or vote for that person or, like, over-politicize stuff. At the same time, a lot of what's happening in our country has to do with morals and, like, and what God says about how we should live and what we should do. And so these things intersect. And so if you could just be generous with me today, because I want to be careful but clear Right, I don't want to step into stuff that's for people to decide between them, like what they're going to do in terms of voting or whatever. Because how many of you know there is no political party that's righteous? Like, and if we're waiting for a politician to be our savior, like we have not read the Bible. Like that's not isn't how it's going to happen. But God does work through people. And we should be engaged. And we should be engaged, not just in voting, but we should be praying. We should be engaged in prayer because I'm just telling you, this is what my sense is that our nation's like on a knife's edge between like the next great awakening and like an abyss. <laughs> that's how I feel. That's my personal, that's how I feel. That's where I feel like we're at. And I feel like it's almost like, um, if you ever read that verse that talks about how um, the heart of the king is like rivers, in the hand of God. He can move it this way. He can move it that way. And even pagan kings and people who don't know him, when God's people are praying and the Holy Spirit begins to blow through a nation, even people that don't know him, their hearts are moved and they can see truth. 
And in on, on a dime, a nation can turn. Nineveh was a nasty place. It was one of the most evil places in the world. And in one day, through maybe the worst sermon ever preached, from the most unloving prophet that ever went to a people, the entire city got saved. It says every single person from oldest to youngest got saved that day. I mean, in an Old Testament sense, before Christ, right? But they turned their heart to God and repented of their sins. The most evil people on the planet that we know of at that time. In a day, the entire nation, come on. Come on, come on, come on. Because something happens when God's word goes out, when his glory shines, and we have understood who we are and we are praying, things change on a dime. And I'm just telling you, there is such a need. So many in our nation, they have no root system. There's no principles they're living by. The values can change from one minute to the next minute. They're like tossed to and fro. The next outrage is their outrage. They never cared about two minutes ago. You know what I'm saying? Like it just people are thrown this way and that way. And I'm just saying the enemy is throwing people around like ragdolls right now. But as the church begins to pray and the Holy Spirit begins to blow and move, those same people will be caught up in that wind and get rooted. Come on. So my goal is not to endorse any political party or anything like that, but as we talk through Genesis and covenant and go back to he created man and woman and made a covenant, um, it really affects a lot of things that are happening in our culture come back down to this creation of man and woman. And the division that the enemy wanted to bring from the very beginning between the man and the woman. And as believers, we can have no part in that. Because that's not the work of the kingdom. That's the work of the enemy. That's who brings division. Come on. Okay. So I'm going to be careful but clear. Um, and I want to throw some pieces out there for you to dwell on and think about and pray through this week. So I'm not going to tie everything together in a bow. I want to throw some stuff out there that I, I feel like we should be contemplating and praying through um, as, a, as a church. Um, and then at the end of today, here's what I'd like to see happen. I really believe that there are folks sitting in this place that need, that need healing. And I'm not, I mean, you can get healing in your body for sure because we see that happen. But there are hurts and wounds in a fallen world, people have experienced some terrible, terrible things that the Holy Spirit can come in and begin to heal and touch and transform and turn around. And I believe that God can, have, can do that today. I also I want to see at the end of this, lies of the enemy get exposed so that we understand what truth is and we don't get caught up in lies. Because how many of you know the enemy comes like an angel of light? He will try to seem virtuous he will try to say things like, because if you want to be kind, you've got to believe this. You've got to believe that. He will use virtues to get you to come in this direction. Come on. So you've got to be wise, right? We've got to be wise. What does the word say? And I also believe there's probably guilt and shame in this room that God wants to lift. I believe all those things are true. As I was just praying through this. I just believe God wants to bring healing, especially inner healing for folks who are carrying some wounds that need to get healed, lies are going to get exposed, and guilt and shame is going to have to leave. <sighs> okay. So be generous with me because it's a very charged atmosphere. To, we can all be generous with each other, right? 
Okay, okay. Genesis 1. Let's start at the very beginning. Let's start at the very beginning. <laughs> the very good place to start. Okay, Genesis 1. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, all the animals that scurry along the ground. So in the very beginning, God makes a decision. We're going to make man, and we're going to make him in our image. And we're going to make him male and female in our image. In what ways do we reflect his image? Well, multiple ways, but we know specifically from this text, I'm going to make them to reign. God reigns over all things. And he says, I'm going to make people in our image who can reign over this earth, who can govern it, who can reign over it. That sounds pretty powerful to me. That sounds like powerful people to me. Genesis 2. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, the one who is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That's beautiful. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united and become one flesh. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Okay, some pieces I want to bring out before we move on. What happens here? Has the fall happened yet? Is man divided from God yet? No. And yet, he was alone. He felt lonely. So Adam has free relationship with God. It's not broken. And yet, he still needed a partner. Think about that. Even before the fall, we needed each other. We don't just need each other because there's the fall and we're super lonely and we've got to huddle together and get through. Before the fall even happened, when Adam had unbroken a relationship with God, God realized his need for companionship of someone who was like him. That speaks to a deep need that we have to love each other well. On, obviously, it's like friends, like brothers and sisters, spiritual brothers and sisters, but also as men and women to love each other well and not to be opposed to one another, right? Okay. Three of you saw it. Okay, so we're going to keep moving. Okay, good. Okay. Now we move to covenant where we see the first covenant that God makes for people. Genesis 3. This is the fall. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it was all good for two chapters and then... Genesis 3. Now the serpent, who we know from Revelation, who's the serpent? Right, in Revelation it says, the devil, you know that serpent from the beginning, right? So 
The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God had already made them like God to reign. But Satan comes and gives them a different option. You can be like God in this way instead, because to get this option, they were going to lose authority. They were going to lose the good thing that God gave them, which was greater than the counterfeit thing that the enemy was going to give them. How many of you know sin is pleasurable for a season? It offers you something. There's a reason why we do it. There's a reason why we fill legitimate needs with illegitimate things. Because for a season, there is a pleasurableness about it, right? Um, so he says, listen, but you can be like God. You can know good and evil. So essentially, like, you don't have to rely on him to tell you what's righteous, You'll decide what's righteous. You'll decide what's right and wrong. You don't need him to set the order of things. There's a great quote, and I can't, it's, it was in a murder mystery. <laughs> On the Acorn Channel, so it was British, so it's got to be good, right? Anyway. <laughs> but it was, a, um, it was an archbishop who was speaking, and he said, um, he said, the problem with morality is that it exists. The problem with morality is it exists, so you can deny it, you can run away from it, but it is. God is righteous. That means he's right. And as much as I want to say, no, this is good and this is evil, what's right is still right. And what's wrong is still wrong because his character has established it. It's not just some kind of whim. He said, oh, I'm going to make this planet, and I'll just decide, hmm, maybe that's right. That's not what happened. What is righteous proceeds from his character. That's how we know what's right, because it's like him. He doesn't change. So the problem with morality is it exists. Whether you want to acknowledge it, whether you want to believe it, whether you want to live according to it, it still exists. And we feel a great need to be right. <laughs> so when we act apart from what God says is righteous, what happens? We get miserable. We get antagonistic. And we have to find justifications because we want to be right. Even really evil people will give you justifications for what they did. Why? Because we feel the need to be right. We were made in the image of God. Even if you're a marred image bearer, you still feel the need to justify that what you are doing is the right thing. Come on, ever seen The Godfather? Mafias are important because they keep the neighborhood safe and they reduce crime, and, right? There's reasons why they feel like we're doing a righteous thing. Right? I'm just saying. Even people who do evil, when you listen to their justifications, they're trying to convince you they're right. This is why I think the waters get muddied and why in our culture it's muddy because things that are evil are being presented as light, being presented as love, being presented as kindness when it's everything but. Okay. 
let's keep going. It can't stay this quiet because I might lose my nerve. You got to help me. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank you. Sometimes you just need a little bit of like, okay. Two people are hanky-waving still, so we're good. All right. Then the man and the wife, oh, wait. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, if it gives me wisdom, he said no good and evil. He said, it's going to give me wisdom. Do you see? It just, in her, he, that can't be a bad thing. God wouldn't want to withhold wisdom. Do you see how it turns in your mind so quickly once you begin to contemplate evil is good? Okay, um, it's good for getting wisdom. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, which had to have been hilarious. <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there because we don't have time. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, Where are you? The man answered and said, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And the Lord said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? He knows. There was no shame, there was no guilt in the garden till carnal knowledge. And now they're so consumed with guilt and shame, they're hiding, they're scurrying, they're doing work they weren't called to do, work they weren't equipped to do, sewing with no machine, that's hard. <laughs> and he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I mean, I ate it. Man up. Come on. It's so disappointing, Adam. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, it wasn't me. The servant deceived me, and I ate it. But he deceived me, and I immediately, she did it. He did it. They did it. <sighs> Zero responsibility, right? <clears throat> 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life, which is why we hate snakes. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, speaking of Jesus, because Jesus she's going to have children now, and Christ is going to come through her. And he says he, the offspring Christ, um, will crush your head, the enemy, the devil. Jesus will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So you're going to wound him, but he's going to crush you. Yeah. To the woman, he said, I will make your pain in childbirth very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Thanks, Eve. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Oh, so much has happened from that one little verse. If you look in the Hebrew there, your desire will be for your husband, and it has a sense of like your desire to be over, like some control, there's some control issues there. 
and he will rule over you. Like, there's going to be conflict because of the curse between men and women. That's not how God wants it. And it's not how he made it. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you should not eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you were, from dust you were made, and to dust you will return. So there's, very, there's the sense of, apart from Christ... Life is hard. The work is hard. You were just born from dust and you work, work, work and you return to it. There's a sense of futility about it. They're going to have to work for things that weren't even work before. God had planted the garden. He had done the work. In our culture right now, there is such rage against men. If I can just say that. And there is also a real sense of destruction toward women. There are different things happening, but they're both very destructive. And there's this rage against men, and people will use words like patriarchy, but when they use the word patriarchy now in our current culture, they're describing something that didn't exist. Like, what are you talking about? Are there ways that women have been held down in ways they've been, sure, 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 sure. I'm not, and does that still happen at times? Sure. My husband traveled with me last week out of state to uh, something for, for my for, um, conference I was at, and he got to see firsthand. He's like, wow, some of these guys treat you weird. And I was like, yeah, just whatevs. <laughs> I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about it. So I, that happens, right? I mean, that happens. But how many of you know there's also this rage and anger towards men? It's like tearing each other apart. As believers, we should have no part in any of that. Right? We should want each other to be powerful people in the Lord. Walking out the call we, walking out the call we have for each other. So I just want to say this one thing on just this kind of view of men, just for a second, as you look at the curse. Like men all through history, until very, very recent history, lived very hard lives. <laughs> like really hard lives. Most of them would have fought a few wars or skirmishes just to hold on to their land thank God, right? You wanted sons because someone had to protect what you had. Um, and until really the Industrial Revolution, I mean, work broke your back and then you died. Men got to do all the work. We didn't want, let me <sighs> Only the men got to fight in feudal wars. That's so mean. Man, hand-to-hand combat? Just to keep your farm? I'd be knocking out sons every year. Like, <laughs> life was hard on people, men and women. Society organized itself in a way because people were just surviving. So this anger, like, for millennia, we've been held down. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Men and women were doing whatever they had to do to survive. Do you think women were relegated to the home? 
per, 90% of the population in most countries was agrarian. Everybody worked. Everybody was working. The women weren't sitting at home and doing needlepoint in 1500s. Are you kidding me? Just to feed what little livestock you had. You would have spent half your day carting water. Everybody was working. It was hard. The ground didn't cooperate with it. It was hard. We should just have a little bit of perspective, right? A little bit of... Because when you get indoctrinated for millennia, you've been held down. I start getting angry about things that never happened to me. And maybe historically didn't happen at all. I receive that. I receive the, the millennial hanky wave. I receive it. I receive it. Come on. And you, it's like people are fueled with anger when you talk to them. You're like, what's happened to you? And they're like, they don't have a personal story sometimes. They're like living off of the anger of other people's stories that may or may not even be legit. That does not look like the Holy Spirit. Now, are there injustices? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, we sat, it's been a few years ago, there was a couple who was coming for a while, and he, was a, um, he worked at a university, had a good job at a university. And we are talking to him, and we had him over for dinner, and we are having a really pleasant conversation, and all of a sudden it turned to race. And uh, we were just telling them, like, we really hate that the city is so segregated because in the church, you know what I'm saying? It should, man, it should look like heaven, and heaven's going to look like all the nations and all the, we were just kind of saying something like that. And then he was like, well, you know what? I really feel like black people should have their churches and we should have our churches. If we don't get along, we don't get along. <gasps> and honestly, like, for, I think we were just silent for a minute because it was like, ow, what? Just get out of your mouth. What in the world? So if that happens to be your professor uh, and you're black, it might go not awesome for you. Right? I'm not saying there aren't injustices, but here's what you do. People aren't groups. People are people. So when you are in a place where something unjust happens, what does the Bible say to do? That you should fight for what's just in that situation. But I'm not going to look at every professor I ever say, see and say, professors are racist. That dude was. But not every professor is. Do, do you see what I'm saying? As, and why do, why do we see people as individuals and not as groups? Because of what we just read. God made man in his image. Every individual has a soul. And every individual has gifts God has given them. And they stand or they fall on their individual merit. It is unfair to assume that every white guy would like to be a rapist if he could be. I have heard that on regular news stations this week. That if people felt like they could get away, not people, men, if they felt like they could get away with it, they would. 
And I just want to look at you men in this room and say, we affirm that sex is not ruling your life, that you are righteous, that you who are believers are inclined to the righteousness of God, and we want to affirm that. Listen, and if, if you do something stupid, we're gonna, there needs to be repentance, and you got to own that, and we're going to walk with you through redemption. But the, individuals make those kinds of choices, not groups of people. We cannot, we cannot live in rage and anger. We should be people who seek justice in situations that we're in and who are willing to fight for justice. Think about this. When did the tide turn in terms of slavery in this country? Think about when it began to turn. It happened after the Second Great Awakening, which swept through the plantations. And as slaves began to get saved, like radically saved, believers could no longer stay silent and believe what the culture was telling them. They're not really fully people, blah, blah, blah. No, if they're brothers and sisters in Christ, then that puts a lie to what you've been saying. This person is worshiping Jesus like I'm worshiping Jesus. That makes him a brother. That makes him a sister. That makes her a sister. This is what turned the tide because they began to see, no, these are people made in the image of God. How can we keep doing this? And so people rose up because it was unjust. What caused them to rise up? Scripture did. Wanting what was righteous. Because they could see this person was made in the image of God. And you can't do this. They're not three-fifths of a person. Their tongue is worshiping the Lord like my tongue is worshiping the Lord. You can't convince me they're three-fifths of a person. This is what changed the tide. <clears throat> okay. I, are we still good? Listen, feel free to disagree with anything I'm saying. Take it home. You pray about it. But we need to think through these things. Can we at least think through them together? Yeah? Okay. Thank you for being generous with me. Okay. One thing we've got to take out, and we're going to run out of time. Oh, there's so much more. Okay. When you read through the Genesis account, what happens immediately after the fall and the curse, what happens? People immediately go to control. Right? He said, she said, and he says, listen, you're going to try to rule over him. He's going to try to rule over you. There's going to be control issues. You should be in control of the things that you're responsible for. But you can't control other people. Keep that in mind. We're going to move to Genesis, Galatians 3. So that's the curse. That's the curse this fallen world is living under. But here's the cool thing. Because of Christ, we are free from the curse. As a believer, we're no longer under the curse. We don't live according to the rules of this fallen world. We live according to the kingdom rules. Colossians says you've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And those are the rules we should operate by and we should play by. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming the curse for us. This curse, he came under the curse for us. For it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole, tree, which Christ is going to be. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's most of us in this room, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Romans 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The curse was condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. The requirement that fulfills the curse has already been met in us through Christ. Come on, so good. We do not live now according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I don't have to run around controlling everything so I feel safe. Well, I better make sure I'm going to tell them this, that they believe this, that they do this, and I'm going to arrange this person this way and arrange that person this way, and got to control everything because I'm too afraid to not control everything because I won't know what's going to happen next. We don't have to live like that. Guess what? I don't have to order my steps and order your steps to have a desired outcome because God has ordered my steps, and I can trust him. People can do terrible things to you, and you know what? They can't stop God. If God has ordered your steps to go in a certain place, that's where you're going to go, no matter what they bring about against you. And so I don't have to control you. I got to control me, <laughs> but I don't have to control you. And so all this control that comes about from the curse, guess what? We can release that because control is all about fear. I fear things happening I'm not in control of. So I've got to control all the pieces around me. Listen, you can't control a thing. If you don't already know that, I'm just going to tell you, it's not possible to control other people's decisions. But you can control keeping your heart positioned toward God and saying, Jesus, I'm submitted to you. Your ways and your path, I'm submitted to you. And I'm going to do the righteous thing, even if people are doing evil things, those evil things seem very powerful. You can protect the righteous. You can def he can defend your name. Come on. Come on. So we no longer live under this curse where we're pitted against each other. and there's, We don't live like that. We are free from the curse. We are free from the law of sin and of death. Here's the deal. In the kind of charged atmosphere that we're living in this country right now, it is very easy to move from pursuing righteousness to pursuing being right. Hmm. And when we do that, we get ugly. And it's about control. Because what happens around us feels out of control. How could all these people be saying these things and doing these things? And, and we start to get into the fray and use all the tools of the fallen world too. Listen, the current things happening in our culture, the things we saw happen this past week, our senators, which... Dear Lord, <laughs> right? That can seem out of control. How many of you know leaders can be like rivers in the hand of the Father? He can guide them where he wants to go. 
So we can decide to use kingdom tools and begin to pray. We're going to speak truth, but in love. We're not going to forget that every single person involved, the people you like and the people you don't like, we're all made in the image of God and can all be redeemed. We're not going to forget that when we post about it. We're not going to forget that when we talk about it. Because we have kingdom things in mind. We don't have political parties in mind. We don't have like political saviors in mind. We have kingdom things in mind. And it's not about being right. It's about being righteous. I want to be doing what God is doing. I'm going to leave you with this picture from Joshua 5. Joshua 5. They're coming to their first big battle. They've defeated the um, 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 city of Ai, but Jericho is the first battle. So the, the people of Israel, God has given them the promised land. They've crossed over um, into the promised land now, and they've begun to eat off the fruit of the promised land, which means the manna has stopped. So they had manna for 40 years in the wilderness. God was supernaturally providing for them. The supernatural provision stopped when they came to the promised land. Come on. Sometimes you begin to walk where God called you to walk, and he was giving you all kinds of words and all kinds of confirmation. You're like, yes, this is what I should do. And you, you take your first two steps into it, and you're like, whoa. All the supernatural stuff seemed to have stopped. What are you going to do? And you have to decide, like, God, I've heard your voice. I'm going to be obedient to it. You owe me nothing. <laughs> I'm just going to do what is right, the righteous thing. Come on. So they come, to, they come into the, the promised land. The supernatural signs begin to stop because he's made provision now. He's made provision through the earth. They don't even need the supernatural thing happening now. He's going to do other supernatural things. So they come to Jericho, and this is their first big battle, right? They're working up to it. Joshua chapter 5 says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And the man said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Listen, what did Joshua say? Hey, the Lord's army, he looks up and God gives him spiritual eyes to see the Lord's army is coming to fight for them. Those walls didn't just fall by themselves. The Lord's army got on top of them and like, put, come on. The Lord's army had come to fight and God gave Joshua spiritual eyes so he could see the Lord was in the fight with him. But listen what Joshua says. He's like, this army, are you for us or are you against us? And what, is, what does the commander of the Lord's army say? No. I've come to fight for the Lord. Come on. God is doing what's righteous. And as long as I'm doing what's righteous, the Lord's army is fighting with me. When I start to tip over and use fallen world tools and do fallen world things, they're not. Because they're not for a political party. They're not like, we're on this team. They're on his team. They're doing what's righteous. Come on. So in any situation, it's not about being tribalism. It's about saying, what is righteous in this situation? That's where I want to be because that's where the Lord's army is going to be because they're fighting for him. They're not taking sides between human beings because human beings, even good ones sometimes get off. They're fighting for his ways. That's where we want to be, no matter how we're tossed to and fro, especially in context of thinking about covenant and men and women and coming together 
and living righteously, being for each other, not against each other. We want to be doing what's righteous. And listen, what is righteous sounds ridiculous to the world. It sounds ridiculous to them. But I'm just telling you, when you look back at history, it is the people who are truly serving God and his ways that were speaking truth all through history. We find ourselves in this nation that's very strange place when it comes to human sexuality. Back in the 60s, during the Cultural Revolution, we were told that sex shouldn't be done in covenant between a man and a woman that are committed to each other. We were taught that hedonism was awesome. That sex was transactional. I'll do this for you, you do this for me. It was selfish, I get what I want. Well, they have sown to the wind. And we are reaping the whirlwind. This is what it looks like. I saw so many people talking um, this week on major news networks, and they were really dogging Christians for the situation we're in right now. And I was thinking, we were the ones who were saying <laughs> sex belongs in a covenant. We should protect one another. We should be careful to do it right. We didn't create this whirlwind, but listen, the enemy's a liar. He's a liar. And in the, the people were made fun of when they spoke up in the 60s, and now they're also getting blamed now when they were the ones who were like, we were saying it was righteous. What are you talking about? How is this our fault? Are, are you hearing me? So listen, I want to say this to you, and especially for you who are younger, I want to say this to you. The world hated Jesus, and it will hate you too. If your goal is like, I want to be loved by the world and I want to publish my writings in the Atlantic Weekly and the Huff Post and the book, listen, they're not going to love you if you're speaking righteousness. God could give you favor in a moment here and there, but they're not going to love you. John 15, I'll end with this. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, um, they would obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. Listen, the more we reflect his glory, there are people who will come to know him. But there are others who are set against him, at least for now. And they will hate you. If you have a deep desire to be light, to be right, you're going to have to die to it to follow him. You're going to have to. If they rejected Jesus, full of light and truth and goodness and healing thousands and thousands of people, if you stand up for righteousness, if you live righteously, there are people that will hate you too. But others listened to his teaching and came to him and were saved. Listen, there are people who don't know they need you. 
but they need you to stand up and they need you to pray and they need you to be righteous and they need you to keep speaking the truth because when life falls apart, they're going to remember what you said and that's how they're going to find their way back. In the moment, they might have mocked you. They might have mercilessly teased you. They might have rejected you. But 20 years from now, your words are what are going to ring true and that's how they're going to find their way back to light. We've got to be willing to do it. We've got to be willing to be those people. So if you would stand, pray to me if you would come. We're going to take time to respond to the word and then come to baptism. Baptism is a public confession of our faith. And there is no better time to make a public confession of faith. The world needs to see light and darkness. And so we're going to hear some testimonies. We're going to take some time to worship first. So pray to me if you would come on up. I know it's kind of crowded, a little bit awkward. There's folks who can pray with you. They'll be here and here and also in that alcove. We're going to take a little bit of time to worship and respond to the word. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, Jesus is at work right now. And I knew coming into today that there were people, because of decisions maybe you've made or situations that you were in that you had no control over, there are hurts and there are wounds. God wants to heal those things today. In this culture, in this climate right now, you're going to have to get healed up because it's going to tear you apart if you've got open wounds because it's vicious right now. So I would encourage you, cry out to the Lord. He's going to meet you in your place of need. For some of you, there are lies getting exposed. Would you just, go, would you just cry out to God and say, God, give me truth. Help me to replace your need. Any lies with truth. And for some of you in this room, there's guilt and shame that Jesus wants to take care of today. And maybe there's more things happening for you, stirred up for you. But let's take some time to offer those things to the Lord. If he's doing work, let's not just gloss over it because you're going to leave and you're going to get busy. And you'll forget the things he was speaking if you don't solidify it in your heart. So as we worship, would you cry out to him? You can come and get prayer on this side or this side or back in the alcove. But any believer in the house can pray with you too because every believer has the kingdom without measure, right? Um, and you can just respond to God and worship too. But let's take some time. Let him speak to your heart. Amen.
against me shall remain. I will rejoice and I will declare that God is my victory and I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice and I will declare that God is my victory and He is here. Come on, sing all of my life. We sing all of my life in every season. You are still God and I have a reason to sing. Oh, I have a reason to worship. Speaks. 
If you're going to be baptized today, if you go ahead and, um, and get ready, if there's anything you need to get ready, if you need a towel, and if you'd come on up and sit here in front as we sing this song together before we have our baptisms, uh, we'll prepare our heart. You can come on up. If there's anything you need to get ready, you can use the bathroom upstairs or downstairs, and then if you're ready now, you can come on up. Free. 
Amen. Such a good day. Powerful name of Jesus. Changes lives. Brings transformation. We've got three folks who are getting baptized today. Jesus was baptized, so we follow his example. He also said, go and make disciples, baptizing them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is the outward confession of what Jesus has done internally in your life. And so uh, if you want to sit down, you can. If you want to move closer, it's more exciting up front during baptism. You are welcome to do that. Um, kids, if the kids want to come up and be closer, they can. It's up to you parents. We're going to um, do the baptism, then all of us take communion together um, on the Sacrament Sunday. So we're going to start with hearing testimonies from the three folks who are getting baptized. Kadari, can we start with you maybe? Let me just say, Kadari's young. She's young, but she's powerful. She shared her testimony. It was just, she just said a, a couple, maybe two, three, four sentences, but I was like, I think this girl can preach. Like it was, it wasn't because it was loud. It was like, man, God's doing something in you. It's so good. So they're going to share with you just their testimony, why they're getting saved today. And then we're going to baptize them. All my life I've been a Christian. So being up here is just really awesome. It's always been black and white for me. And now I've just always been a listener. And now I just want to be a doer. Just follow in God's footsteps and do what he tells me to do. Uh, well, I've always been a Old Testament kind of Christian, very lawful and black and white like her, so it just always something came up for me not to get baptized and well now the youngest is going through with it and I really don't got an excuse anymore so <laughs> thank you okay um, I was an atheist for 50 years and after I had the stroke while I was laying in the hospital bed I thought back over my life and I realized I hadn't accomplished anything worthwhile except raising my son Timmy and then I thought about how unusual it was that I would uh, meet his mother. Because in my high school year, my senior year, I was a tech doing repair work on home stereo equipment, you know, down uh, signal tracing down to the component level. And I got a scholarship. I won a scholarship, competitive scholarship. And it gave me four free years of tuition to any college I wanted to go to. And a couple times I switched over to engineering and I was going to get a degree in electrical engineering. And this was just prior to the uh, PC revolution, and if that had happened, I'd be living in California. But something straight, yeah, I strayed off the path and kept straying, and eventually I got to the point where I couldn't get a job except as a security guard. So that's what I did, and that's where I met Tim's mom was when I was working in that field. And so it was, you know, the hand of God that pushed me this way and led me that way that led me to Tim, where he wanted me to be.
have two questions to ask her also. Um, have you accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. Okay. And do you desire to follow him and be obedient to, to all that he calls you to do? Yes. Okay. All right. So based on your profession of faith in Jesus Christ and your desire to follow him with your heart, and I baptize you. Um, You're not there yet. I know. Kadari... Candace Maylee Shoemaker. All right. Okay. Okay. If you questions for you um first question have you desired um, have you accepted jesus as the lord and savior of your life yes sir okay um do you desire to follow him and be obedient to all that he calls you to do most definitely all right cool all right Beautiful. 
That's what I wanted to do. He's so good. He's so good. And wash away my sin. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but Jesus told us to celebrate this supper, to celebrate it. On a day like today with baptisms, it's easy to see why it's a celebration. Because he transforms lives. Amen. He's so good. He's so good. When Jesus knew he was about to be betrayed and he knew he was about to die, which is what he'd come to do. He'd come to die for our sins. He took his disciples together. He took his disciples together, knowing that one would betray him and the rest were going to scatter, <laughs> except one. And he washed their feet and he served them. And he took the bread and he broke it. They knew about the old covenant that God had made with Abraham, that God had carried on his own. He walked the whole covenant toward Abraham. Jesus took the bread and he said, now I make a new covenant with you. And this new covenant will be in my blood. It will be through my broken body. And he took the bread and he broke it. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood offered for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And as we come to the Lord's table, we want to come to it with our hearts clear. If there's unforgiveness, we want to offer that to him. If there's issues of sin, we want to ask for repentance. We want to clean our hearts before him. So we can come unencumbered to his table where we can be reminded that on the cross every single area of brokenness, every single hurt, every single wound, every single sin was paid for. And now he's not hanging on the cross. He is risen again and he is making all things new. And now we partner with him to make all things new. He's so good. He's so good. And today we get to celebrate him making all things new. Amen. So if you would take the bread, the emblem of the bread, his body, we'd partake together. And now the emblem was blood that was spilled for us.
And now we get to celebrate. (laughs) He is the risen Lord. We look back to his death and resurrection communion, but we also look forward that he is coming again. Is this me?